0: Hey, how's it going? This is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. Today's episode is with Patrick Moberg and Holly Liu. Patrick is the co-founder of PlayDots, which is a mobile game studio in New York. They make Dots, PlayDots, and Dots & Co. And Holly Liu is a visiting partner at YC. Before that, she co-founded the gaming company Kabam. All right, here we go. Let's start with... An explanation of what dots is, <laughs> what the whole entity is, yeah. and uh we'll just go from there.
1: Okay. Uh so dots started as sort of this um little art project um that was born at Betaworks, uh which is an incubator investor in New York City. Um and it was sort of my synthesis final synthesis of sort of art and technology, which I'd been like sort of dancing in between up until then. So games was this really natural progression. So it was sort of my first foray into that, and I think it was like A lot of right place right time um i think the idea was like simple enough Mm uh that would just sort of i think as a group we're kind of surprised by how well and sort of how far it took off and sort of uh the fan base that it resonated with yeah and so we've now built a (laughs) studio around that idea and had you made a game of any kind before it's funny i feel like i right when i started learning how to program i was like uh messing around with like 2d arrays and grids and like like very similar to what dots sort of became but that was like 10 years earlier and then i kind of hit a wall because i was so new to programming so i moved to like server-side stuff and started doing like much different type of work so it was interesting to like come full circle back to that after like programming for like a long time but i really didn't in the in in the interim there wasn't a lot of like interest in games huh yeah and
0: why art and technology then like what what made you synthesize the two um,
1: around dots.
0: Yeah. Well, cause I mean, it obviously resembles a Damien Hirst piece, yep. right? Um, did you try out other things where you're like, Oh, maybe I can mash this up
1: or was that the first? Yeah. So the, the like big point of inspiration was this uh, artist, Yeo Kusama. So okay. the year before I went on this trip to Japan and sort of, uh, went to the city Matsumoto where they were in a r- retrospective of this artist's work and it's all like dot based. Um, it's a little more like, off the grid than uh Damien Hurst. Yep. Um but the whole city was sort of like covered in her work. Okay. Um so the buses were wrapped, the like coke vending machines were were wrapped. <laughs> um there's like a a couple big museums that were showing just her work. And so it was sort of dots everywhere. And so the way the program at Betaworks was run was like uh it was basically an open prompt to build a prototype of whatever you wanted within three or four months. Okay. But it was like you had to launch something at that time. And so I was kind of like looking back on that trip, and like I think her work was really formative because it it was like beautiful but accessible, mm-hmm. so it was like the idea that it could almost be playful to be to be like interacting with something beautiful okay uh was kind of the impetus, and so I like started with screenshots of just like what could a mobile game look like that would be different from what sort of what else is available yeah um, and the gameplay kind of came from that design, like it was very much like. Okay, here's what it here's what it could look like. How would this play? And so I started sort of like the rules kind of came from there.
0: And are you prototyping these interactions and then showing them to people? Are you asking I I don't know much about game yeah. development, so like how
1: do you figure out those mechanics? I think what was really cool is that so Paul Murphy, who would later become my co-founder um with dots, the way he ran this program um at BetaWorks was that basically every week we would check in on Thursdays and sort of either talk about what you like sort of did or sort of later in the pro program show what you had completed. Um, and so we got in this like weekly cadence that I really wanted to show something every Thursday. And so it kind of drove that prototype really quickly. And I like made me want to make things that I was proud to show. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I found that was a great way to, to produce that type of game. Um, and so it was like every week getting in people's hands and sort of seeing how people reacted to yeah. it. Yeah.
0: And is that the same way you develop games now? How many games are you guys making now?
1: So we've put out, um, so we, we sort of have three that are live in the store. Okay. Um, we've done a few others that. Didn't make it to full releases. <laughs> so, uh, we can get into it later, but it's like, yeah, we'll put stuff in sort of test market and sort of do that on a bigger scale. Okay. So I think DOTS was really born out of like, uh, friends and family testing it. And now we sort of just need to do things at a bigger scale to know sort of how it'll resonate with people beyond our sort of network. Yeah. And so the initial launch, um, how was it received in the beginning? Um, again, I think a lot of luck, a lot of right place, right time. I think beta works. It was like a, First, their forced foray into, into games. And so I think their network, um, which is like a very substantial and sort of like influential network. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like cool or it felt cool to them to like, uh, be a part of a game launch. And so they were like great advocates for it. And so like people with tons of Twitter followers, like, um, talked about it day one. And then we like, I think Paul was like forward thinking. He was like, we got to try Facebook marketing. Um, which at the time, like no other, I think very few other beta works companies were like doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was just like, this is like a good thing to test that with. So we had like a really small budget and I think there was actually a mistake and it all got like instantly, <laughs> like instantly bought a ton of players. Um, but it was like $10,000, I think. Like it was still relatively small compared to like other budgets now. Yeah. Um, but you spent it in like one day like one hour Whoa! <laughs> it was like a, just a bug i think paul's talked about it like he fucked up but it kind of worked out <laughs> um so it's kind of like that great word of mouth there's like uh, this uh foray into, into facebook marketing in like a really early time um i think the aesthetics led to really inexpensive uh sort of cpis cost per really? install yeah why i think it it's it was just such a like clean image of a white screen with dots on it um, really? that I think that just popped in the sort of Facebook feed. Um, and I think it was like, I always felt like the less character a game had, the more, um, like a wider audience could almost project whatever they wanted onto it. So it was like, maybe you won't find the most hardcore fan, but it's going to appeal to such a broader sort of audience. Mm. Um, which you've kind of see decoded out in things like Ketchup or there's like Voodoo games, which do like these really simple games, like, um, that are all sort of geometric shape driven. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think for like that particular title, it was like awesome. And then to see that evolve into our second game, two dots, um, which was directed by David Hausen, Um, he took it in this way that I didn't really anticipate, which was more sort of character and sort of like a rich art world, um, that I think was ultimately the right decision in hindsight. Like it, uh, I think Fans from the first game who wanted a deeper gameplay, they were like hungry for a product like two dots mm-hmm. which had both the deeper gameplay and the sort of deeper aesthetic and like it was just like a the right sort of mixture that I actually didn't know was gonna work that well like I kind of had this idea that dots was gonna remain this sort of minimalist approach um but what's been cool is like now we've sort of had this. Studio that can support different types of perspectives on stuff like that.
0: And is your hypothesis around CPIs
1: true? Um, with so now CPIs are way more competitive because there's games with higher LTVs. Okay, so you need a li- lifetime value. Well, acronyms <laughs> you're learning. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, it's like real easy to slip and just use them all the time. Yeah. Um, so I mean, the goal is basically to get a lifetime value that's more than the the cost per install for sure. Um. And then once you sort of dial that in, you can kind of scale it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you start competing with other people who most likely have higher LTV games. So because the sort of uh, game mobile game industry has evolved so much, mm-hmm. there's like people with higher LTVs who are willing to pay much more. So the competition on Facebook has gotten really steep. But going
0: back to your initial point is that like the clean style still uh effective? I think
1: it's like difficult to create high LTV games with that style. Oh. Because I think you do want like passionate niche audiences which can be large but they want like to sort of gravitate around a certain th- certain theme or something like that if they're going to sort of like financially invest in something.
0: Right. So now it's about like building more narrative, building bigger characters, getting people really engaged.
1: Yeah, and I think for A lot of people that work at the studio, I think they're excited to do that. Like it's not just an end to the means of like financial growth. It's like people like narrative and I think both working on it and sort of uh, interacting with it. So um, it's kind of a like two birds with one stone sort of thing. Right,
0: right. So what does that mean on the creative side, right? Like are you turning these games out in three months now or like when you storyboard or do you even storyboard like these longer games? Yeah, yeah
1: the big thing with a game like two dots is that it's, it's basically a game that, uh, and this is kind of disseminating throughout the entire games industry. Um, it's like games have two, like multiple phases. So there's sort of like pre-production where you're prototyping and pitching a game idea. Um, then you move into production, the sort of like time it takes to get it to, uh, a launchable state Mm -hmm. and then you launch it. And now things have live ops, which means like you're adding additional content and sort of like doing updates, uh, whether it's to like maintain stability or like sort of performance or to add new levels or um, other sort of things to a game. Um, so we have like a really sort of iterative or like um, sort of finely tuned process that makes new levels, which include sort of uh, either a new mechanic mm-hmm. um, uh, always include sort of new art and sort of, um, new gameplay for players, uh, every three weeks. So there's sort of new levels added every three weeks. (laughs) And then on top of that, there's weekly events that are sort of, uh, levels you can only play for that week. And if you complete them, you get sort of a medallion or sort of bonus sort of things. Okay. Um, and so like, this has all sort of been like, it evolved for,
0: (laughs) all right, give a pause. Hey, (laughs) what's up? Holly's here, everyone.
2: Hi, guys. I'm <laughs> back. We're all just arrived.
0: Um, so Patrick was explaining what it meant to develop Dots and then Two Dots and how it was different in terms of, like, storyboarding, creating uh, a game from, like... Because his first prototype was, like, I don't know, a couple weeks before yep. you had it. Yeah.
1: And, then like, three months to launch. And then as because it was sort of more, more arcade the gameplay loop was pretty much, like, infinite. And yeah. so now we're, like, with Two Dots, it's, like, in a live ops operation. So, like... Um, we do releases every three weeks and like weekly events and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, Holly, on your side, what
0: did that mean at Kabam?
2: Like, in terms of game design. So, early, early on, when we were on Facebook, the development cycles were a lot shorter. Okay. Within about three months, we could launch a game. And that was really because I think our game mechanics were simpler, even for a mid core game. Like, even our strategy mid core? Yeah. So, mid core games tend to be a little bit, um, uh, like, they're more engaging. Well, not more engaging, but you have to spend some more time. There's several steps. So, like, a midcore game is, uh, something like, I don't know if anybody's heard of Civilization. Uh, but those are kind of like the strategy-based games we started on. And inf- strategy-based games are kind of like, if you have resources, you want to build those resources so that you could build your village. And then ultimately, and most of these things, is you build these villages so that you can raise an army and go attack people. And so usually there's some type of battle mechanic and a lot of our initial games. Um, we eventually moved into like racing games or RPG games. Wow. Where RPGs is like a lot of role playing where you can build out a character and that you can um, do something with that over time. But oftentimes there was some type of attack or battling of some sorts. And so it always kind of led towards some type of, something that was quite competitive. So we, so we got a lot of competitive players. Yeah. But early on, like our, our, our cycles were, were a bit shorter, mainly because, um, web was a bit shorter. Um, also, um, I guess if uh, technically it wasn't, yeah, it was three months, but well, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't built out when we launched. So I will okay. say that, like when we first did something like an MVP on Facebook, it was just trying to catch, um, just, kind of move as fast as possible to get an MVP. We were able to um, build resources to build the buildings. Uh, and you could get to an army, but you could not attack. <laughs> so the main part of it, we're like, it's just nice. going to take so long for them to get to that stage. But as we moved on to mobile, the cycles just got a lot longer. To today, I mean, it takes us about probably like 18 to 24, 18 months is on the short side, like 24 months, like two years. Really? Um, and it's partly kind of for us, um, the mechanics have gotten more involved on mobile game. It's, you couldn't just push a new, new code every day. Like you had to get submitted. Um, there's just so many things. Also the quality has gotten a lot higher. We've moved into 3d art, which is very different, um, setup than 2d. Yeah. I, I don't know what thoughts if it's, um, it's probably still 2d. Yeah. I would imagine. We're like, Dipping our toe in the
1: water of 3D. <laughs> oh, we right. can have a discussion yeah. around that. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs>
2: it's very, it, it, it was very different, um, in terms, in terms of that. So, so it definitely for us pushed a lot. And then also on top of that, we, we did a lot of IP licensing. Mm. So hmm. that also adds time, right? So you got to talk to, um, the Fox people about like, Hey, does this make sense? Or the Hunger Games people with the characters. Right.
0: So um, is that, is that similar to Lego? Like you can have like massive hits if you get rights to that stuff.
2: Oh, I think definitely for sure you you how you could get massive hits. So I, I think I, I might be jumping the gun, but somebody did ask. Yeah, about, no, we should we
0: should read the question properly. Cat cat yeah. is
2: growing and CPIs are reaching like three dollars. How do you fix this? And. Um, me and Patrick were discussing about you know there's just two sides to to each side. It's CAC, which is cost of cost of acquire customer yeah. for those that don't know, and then um, CPI, which is cost per install, which is part of that. Like it's literally you have to get an install in order for them to convert into customer. <laughs> so that's on one side, um, and then the other side is what we call LTV, which is the lifetime value of the customer. And we're mm-hmm. constant, which I'm pretty sure you guys are at Dots, trying to sort out like what's that LTV? is um, it changes over time? and you want to model it correctly um, because you just don't, the game's still live and you're yeah. like, oh my goodness, there are people who are playing from inception and that actually plays into kind of your average LTV. So either way, the whole trick is to get your LTV really high yeah. and your CAC low and so um, what this person was asking is as your CAC gets higher and higher, it's very hard to collect that margin. So for us on our end, we saw that that our cost of customer acquisition was just getting higher and higher Yeah, and I do think it's because we are what we call the mid-core game. So people who maybe identify as... uh gamers. Um, mm-hmm. and those people are not necessarily all your friends. It's like watching TV. It's not necessarily, they're all into a certain show. Um, you could have friends that are, you know, just your friends and not everybody wanted to go, you know, build a farm so they can build a building. Like it's not something my grandma would want to play or my mom. Yeah. Right. Uh, whereas dots is probably so much more accessible. So for us, um, the IP has been very helpful in reducing that CAC because I don't have to explain what Marvel is. Like I could go after the Marvel fans, and it's so much cheaper than um, just trying to get them to understand what is, you know, Edge World or Dragons of Atlantis. <laughs> and um, but once we acquire that customer, their LTV does tend to be a bit higher hmm. um, than than um, c- casual. Yeah, it's usually what we find.
1: I think one helpful sort of way to describe the different casual, midcore, and then there's hardcore. It's like. Uh, casual, you kind of play whenever you have free time. Midcore, you'll schedule time to play. And then hardcore, Mm. you schedule your life around playing. Um, So a hardcore game uh, example is what? World of Warcraft.
2: Yeah, World of Warcraft. Like you have to like set up your headphones. Uh, We've also found in our midcore games, uh, especially when we went to mobile, Mm -hmm. we had to make the site like uh, what people could input like short enough so when they're standing in live. So mm-hmm. for us, like to kick off building a building, like it was almost like a setup game yeah. in some way. Some pieces were super like set up and then come back and see what was the result.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, okay. For
2: sure. So we had to like uh, adapt some of those things. But yeah. you. But I think the ones, they've, they've gotten more adaptive in terms of like what you're saying. Yeah. You don't build your life around it, but you think you're intentional about it. Especially yeah. our Marvel game, you have to, especially when you're battling, Um, it's quite engaging. Like you're not going to just put it on yeah, auto yeah, battle yeah. or something of that sort. Right? it's like street, they're trying to make it like street fighter for your marvel characters yeah, right that's okay. really what our marvel game is but yeah but early on we certainly had to reduce it so that it would just be like filler t- time like it could fill your time while you're waiting in line and i think we just found that with mobile platform yeah it was very hard to sit there and not think about interruptions and not think about like I really wish I could capture World of Warcraft type, even though we're on our phones all the time. Yeah, I was wow. gonna
0: say is like, has hardcore become a thing on mobile, or
1: is that still console PC?
2: I still think it's console PC. But, yeah, I, don't know I think what's on. interesting,
1: like happening right now, is that so two games, Fortnite and PUBG, um, okay. oh, yeah. are like the number one games and sort of right now, and so both of those just got ported to mobile, so you can basically play against other. PC players on your mobile device. Um, they're like first-person shooter games, so yeah. I think those like lines are going to blur. But right now, yeah. it's pretty; it's still fairly segmented. Um,
2: It'd be interesting to see like if the porting, because I still feel like your platform does have impact on your game design. Yeah, so yeah of course. So uh, I wonder like how they kind of adjust it yeah. for that, because I haven't seen. I'll be honest; I haven't seen total successful first-person shooters on mobile. Yeah. I don't know if you.
1: I mean, seen. I think these are. Uh, historically, no. Fortnite like just came out last week or something, yeah. And it's like
2: Never went top on the, ten grossing on the mobile store, yeah. Oh, okay. But there like, you go.
1: It, yeah, it'll spike and then sort of maybe die that's off. True. Like, yeah, it's true. It's, it's really novel right now to to play this on like against other players on your mobile device. Hmm. Okay. Um,
2: well, maybe that's
1: yeah yeah that's great yeah but
0: who knows I'm just curious on the business side like are people always chasing these kind of like new areas where they can make a little bit of money or like historically it's like these mid-core games like that's where you have the cash Mm -hmm. like what yeah what do you guys feel
2: well so for us we were quite um, focused around um, what what we were doing so in the beginning, we didn't know what we didn't know. So we probably were a bit more open. Like we were doing a casual game on Facebook and then we were doing, we, we thought this would be great. We're like, Hey, we got this strategy game that worked really well. Let's just put like a theme of science fiction on it, like a (laughs) Roman theme and, uh, you know, call of duty type theme and all of this. But like, we realized that that just became very derivative In, in our world. It just, everything was, was derivative in terms of Players and revenue and all of that—it was just really difficult to. I, I think players are really smart. Humans are really smart. They—they, uh—you can't just like clone something and then. That not was a separate question I had about
0: all the dots. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, dude. There. So I was looking at it before. It's insane. But anyway. Sorry, yeah, I keep but going. I think like
2: yeah, even all the dots. Like you, I think there has to be something new outside of just theme. And there were. Don't get me wrong. There were new things for us, but we also learned that. Uh, maybe we didn't copy the right things. <laughs> we right, totally. Like it was something, and that was us doing it to ourselves in some ways, right? Um, and trying to. I mean, there, we definitely did open up more um audience, um, but as time went on, and the production costs of our games went higher. We had to be super thoughtful about um, thinking about even genres that we are going to go into. Do we even have the talent? Like, is there is there a place in the market right now that mobile really needed to be in and they just wasn't there right now? So a great example of this would have been racing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we looked at racing as a category and it came up and down on racing and we had realized that... Um, that us uh, there were some early ones that were starting to traction and we were like this is great hmm. um but at the same time we didn't have internal talent so that's where we found our Vancouver studio and mm. at the same time we had the IP but we're like hey we 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 need the right team. So we're really focused on like the right genre with the right team everything matching together because it, w- it would have been disaster if our Kingdoms of Camelot team would have built a racing yeah. game because you have to get the drifting right you have to get like the starting right and getting it uh, mobile that kind of game design I think is fundamentally really different than huh. from RPG or to use what we call like strategy based games and oh. and building that. So so um, that, that certainly for us uh, changed quite drastically over time along with the business environment. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're probably seeing a lot of consolidation in the marketplace. And uh, as the person asked about CAC getting higher... Um, we just realized every single shot on goal had to be really really good, and we were pouring more money and at some point we like we tell some game designers this was like a year or two ago, so it might have been higher is mm. if you 're going to spend money on customer acquisition, reserve at least five million dollars. Mm-hmm. That Whoa. was like a year or two ago. You guys can't see, but Craig's eyes are really big yeah. right now. His eyes are
0: like,
2: woo. Yeah. No, that's big money.
1: But that was well, that was I've heard double that. So yeah. that's, oh, okay.
2: See, that was two years ago. So yeah. today it might be double that. Um because it's gotten to this person's question, it's gotten so expensive. Yeah.
0: Wow. So double that to what, reach profitability on a game that took twenty-four months to develop? Is that what that's what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like just for it to get a good shot to know that you have enough customers to see if its retention is good, all of that kind of stuff in terms of getting it to get higher. You you wouldn't spend that much in beta. So I'm not recommending you definitely for, if anybody's like a game developer out there and you're starting a new game, um, certainly launch it in beta. You could do in beta countries first. That's what a lot of people do and get at least enough, like a couple thousand, just by a little bit so you can fix some of these bugs. And then when you're ready, that's like turning on the holes, is the uh, 10 million. That's <laughs> so <laughs> big time.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, and when you think about it, like the LTV is almost like just a little bit higher than CPI. So, like, you're not making that much money on each acquisition. So, like, that's why you sort of need that big scale to, right. like, sort of profit from that launch.
0: Right. Um, so, what what is it for you guys? You've talked about games that you guys prototyped internally and then never released. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume you didn't spend two years building those games, right?
1: Yeah. I think for ours, that's like three to six months. Okay. So. Like dots took three months, but it was very simple. Two dots actually took about six months um uh some of our other prototypes that we we did put like it's called soft launching, so you put it in like the Philippines or the Netherlands, and sort of like through the app store yeah okay um so those those would take three months to sort of get to that sort of minimal viable product and sort of like you look at the k p i s key performance indicators <laughs> of of sort of what how long people play um if they're sort of enjoying it uh those sort of things and then yeah you decide if it like has the legs like are there things you can tweak to change those or is it sort of just on to the next one
0: right and so were you launching in the same way holly or were you just uh yeah yeah so we
2: were very similar uh except for uh for us like prototyping the game took took a bit longer mm-hmm. and then we would we would beta it so it's I think for a mid-core studio, it's very hard to kill your baby. Yeah. Um, because like we've had we've had ones where um, you know, uh there was one that we had to kill and it had taken at least like twelve months. <laughs> and then we found like day 90 retention was horrible. And it was so funny because the studio lead, uh the studio president, he's like one of the things I learned is I, I wish we would have released that earlier. Then we would have known that just the engine was broken. They mm-hmm. thought the engine would be really good. And then if you just like a day 90, the retention was so bad. And like, he's like, well, if I release that 30 months or like three months earlier, I could have taken that learnings to the next game that we were building. Mm-hmm. That so like, pa- yeah, Patrick
0: it. mentioned Minecraft, like basically being released before it was done. Did yeah. you guys enter that territory as well? Like are our mobile game developers doing this kind of thing?
2: So for us, like definitely early on on the web, like our first game, we launched it before it was done. Um We all cannot probably get away with something that's quote unquote not done. But we certainly can, um, what we call an elder game, like maybe not release that portion of it okay. until later because we know it takes – Sometime, but the cycles I, I will say that the I think you guys probably see this as well is um on mobile, what we call consuming content happens so much faster, so that means like when you release a game, just don't have just like ten levels like you need like <laughs> an order of magnitude larger than that because you'll be surprised how much people just eat up while they're waiting like it's just ah. surprised i don't know how many levels you're like. You have to launch with this many. I, I don't remember with us. Yeah. I mean, of.
1: I think we learned it the hard, the really hard way. Like we, we launched two dots with 85, which is like, seems like an okay amount, mm-hmm. but we had such good, like such a good sort of organic launch. Like people telling their friends that we were sort of scrambling to add more levels because people were going through that so quickly. That's insane to me. Why well, so not just like make like in the a game. week?
2: They were going through it. Yeah. Probably? yeah. What? I probably. I wouldn't be surprised because dots yeah. is like, you and just keep playing. Because
0: you don't want to make it exponentially more difficult. Otherwise they bounce um I don't know. what do you mean so like you say all right so you launch with 85 levels yeah. but what if at level 50 it becomes
1: so hard mm-hmm. that like each uh, level right, 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 takes right. progressively longer right that's no good yeah so then you'll get people churning out um and just sort of like <laughs> abandoning the game forever <laughs> really so we look at like really granular sort of win rates per level and sort of see how because you also want, you do want that sort of like nice difficulty curve that does sort of ebb and flow that mm-hmm. is just always getting di- more difficult. Um, so you do want like levels that are challenging, but you do want to sort of make sure that they're not too difficult that just make people sort of quit. Yeah.
2: That's right. I mean, ours is very similar, except for we don't have a straight level mechanic system. We have other kind of things that kick off as well. <laughs> so for us, when we think about Elder Game or Later Game, it's not just, level mechanics that make it maybe harder to win a battle, but it might be at that point, what is it that you unlock that's meaningful for say like your character or your team? So that's kind of, you You do have to think about a bit of the elder game because those guys are your rabid fans, like your rabid customers, your really loyal customers, and you want to keep them around because they actually help bring in others. One of the things that's a bit unique about almost every, I think every one of our games, yes, every one of our games is we have um, social features of Alliance, mm-hmm. as well as like chat, and those mm-hmm. types of um, customers that that are, are loyal and, you know, play every single day or get to those later levels end up becoming um, almost like the the social uh, – they, they recruit people for their alliance. They're usually like the alliance leaders are the ones that are like highly retaining and very valuable to bring on other players. So mm-hmm. you do have to take good care and think about that because we, we are also somewhat managing a community. In many ways, Um, each one of our games has a community,
0: which is challenging when you're building a portfolio of games, right? Because you're like, oh, man, racing is sexy right now, except this person doing a first person shooter doesn't care about racing. So like, how do you build your community from that? Right.
2: Ours was very bottoms up. Um yeah. And partly we've had license IPs to help keep the CAC down so we could go after Fast and Furious fans uh, versus Marvel fans. So um, – and every – like almost every game had its own community manager as well because at, at that point we realized like what was – six like what that fan cared about was probably different than what a first-person shooter yeah. fan cared about. <laughs> um, so that was – that's certainly something that where we – um we, we do have and because we have less games, like we, we've only end up launching like two to four a year before we exited that it's like it's very, very minimal in that way. Okay. So that was that's something I think as you if you are a larger portfolio, then you have to think about centralizing and thinking about the community a little bit different. Um, but we certainly would have individual, like every game would have somebody that would help the community. They would either be called a live operations person that would do some community stuff. Yeah. Feedback what's happening. And they would cross with our customer service department in many ways, which we call player experience. Mm -hmm. So ours was a little bit different in that way. But as we got Mm. just fewer shots on goal, it was very, very focused. Each one was an independent studio in many ways.
1: Yeah. Like big question we're asking with every new sort of pitch that comes now is like, would you be excited to work on this for like five years? Because like hmm. the, the, you have to sort of think about them now as these sort of projects. That's that That's we'll right. Sort
2: of, Long term franchises is like know. what we used to, to talk about. It's like really? we're building franchises. And really, I think our I don't know if your monetization model is very similar. Our, ours is what we call free to play. So the user can download it for free and if they if there's something like maybe they'll want to buy a sword or they want to um, do something maybe faster they will pay money so it's our, our end users are actually our customers so um, one of the things we'd always liken ourselves to a lot more is A. Games as a service mm-hmm. and be Very much like um, TV shows like mm. movies versus TV so things didn't have to be like if you think about console games or premium based games they have to think of the whole whole thing and then they market it because the way they monetize they, as a player you pay them their the money up front and then that's, that's about it. But, um, and even I, uh, for those that don't know this, uh, but any gamer would know this is like, if you buy a, a disc, a, like an Xbox disc from the store, once you open it, you cannot return it, right? It's just like movies. Like once yeah. you go to the movies and you didn't like that movie, too bad. Like they're not going to give your money back, right? But with TV, it's very different. Yep. You know, you, you think about content episodes, you think about like, earning the like you think about audience, you think about earning it, you think about it as a service in some ways. And if you if you actually see um kind of the it was really interesting we had pulled some graph from the Simpsons and their viewership. And you just see this long tail of retention, like, over time. And it's very different than, like, movies. You see Star Wars and it's a peak and then it goes down and then you have to wait for the next Star Wars movies and it's time over time. But we're thinking about, like, long-term, like, TV franchises, like, keeping our players around, like, day after day, week after week um, is something that we, we thought about a lot and it had to do a lot how we monetized
0: Hmm. Are there are there different learnings that you guys see indie game developers take? Because all this stuff is just like big, massive scale, you know, five million dollar budget minimum. Like that's insane. Like how do indie how do indie developers handle this? Because like they're that's still a pretty big community, right?
1: Yeah. I think on the like PC console side or more PC Steam, um, it's like they are starting to develop in the open. So something like Minecraft was like in development, but people could basically buy it before it was done. Um, but they were opting into this sort of tolerance for bugs and like sort of weird behavior in the game. Mm-hmm. I think because they were sort of excited to be sort of along for that ride of the development. Um, so you see that a lot with, I think, smaller studios, like five to 10 people, um, sort of pre-selling the game almost before it's ready. Okay. And that helps them sort of like bug test it for like a profit and then um just like also building that community that's going to be their sort of champions when they do launch um
2: and you see some uh, some actually startups that support like individual game um developers there's this one called Fig which is like mm. Kickstarter for um indie game developers is started by the Double Fine guys okay um and usually i find whenever i think um such an amazing core core to indie is the passion and the craft that they put in there and um, that I think that that does not get overlooked when they're building a game and I think the idea that they can build like a rapid fan base from the get-go from the indie world is something that's super special I do because I do think that um they leverage kind of their reputation from some place like they were worked on this game and these followers tend to follow them which is so that, that works very well for premium games, I guess you'd say. Um, Free-to-play, it's still kind of working as kinks, but, like, it, it's starting that culture when you see – when you kind of see how the games have developed on mobile. Yeah. Like, there's just such high quality now. Like, Supercell kicked it up a notch. All of these things that I think the quality that usually comes out of indie studios um, can match that in many, many ways. So I, I do yeah. want to – I do think that there is it's just such a tough environment. I, w- I will be honest about that. It's a tough <laughs> tough business environment out there, but I I think it, with places like Steam, um Humble Bundle, like there's just still people who are like rabbit fans on uh, of that stuff. Right. But so on the acquisition
0: side, they kind of have to employ different tactics cuz they right. can't keep up with you. Guys. Well,
2: yeah, but I also think like nowadays it's not even smart even if you have a big budgets, I wouldn't spend it all on customer acquisition. You're just not going to get like for your buck so you also find folks like us that went after the marvel fans so we have to go individual like start focusing on that community and building that community places like fig are a great way to like start building that you know like how kickstarter does that right is building your fan base and then um getting it into social media so influencers have been become very powerful um there's been other gaming companies that obviously have dabbled in you um, and ourselves commercials, okay. which which do help. I, I wouldn't recommend that for anything. Um, but you billboards? just see, all I'm saying. Skywriting Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying is you just see uh, because of the pressures of of just straight uh, acquiring like paid acquisition is the pressures are so high on there. That's when you see things move more towards organic because you're always trying to reduce the cost of customer acquisition, like either raise your LTV or lower your CAC. One of the two, those are
1: and platforms can also be helpful there. So oh, that's like right. That's Apple, a great point. Apple Apple's like doing a great job now, that's sort of like point. showcasing those indie developers and like yeah. both their games but also their individuals behind them. And so like they're doing profiles of sort of uh, really small developers and sort of like I think the work that they're doing well. Is that's is that's a really, really
2: good, good point. Now. Yeah. Apple Apple's done a great job supporting indie developers. And so how
1: has Twitch affected game
0: development? Or has it affected it at all? <laughs> Like are there certain games that are just more fun to watch someone stream and therefore that's like a growth strategy? Or is it just kind of, you know, it's a popular game, a lot of people stream it, that's whatever.
1: I think games that have like emergent behavior, so like something like Minecraft where it's almost like the random chaos of things happening creates this narrative that's mm-hmm. almost like fun to watch, uh, creates like a longer term sales cycle for a game. So it's a less spiky sort of like yeah. the movies and then it is sort of starting to like almost grow over time if you do have a game like that that is really fun to watch. Yeah. So
2: I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't think I've found a mobile game yet that has uh, been interesting enough to stream. Hmm. It's always been reversed, I feel like. Like things on like Steam or like Activision Blizzard with mm-hmm. Overwatch, like all these other things have all been like downloadable, um, big mass MMO, massively multiplayer yeah. environments. I just haven't seen that so I I definitely know that people are trying to crack this like vainglory they're trying to basically make a, a game on mobile that's uh for eSports and I I think the first hurdle you have to jump you have to have to jump over is is it a like is it a successful mobile game? and I just haven't seen that yet. Mm-hmm. There might be some interesting stuff i I think they're streaming more I don't know you guys might know more streaming more stuff on about clash. Mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. as well as like a uh, battle like the 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 battle card game that they have
1: hearthstone yeah
2: uh hearthstone, so those are probably closer, mm-hmm. yeah actually hearthstone is probably yeah, but first it was i feel like first it was a successful mobile game, yeah, and then it got strained versus. Mm. Uh, the other way around where I, I, it's yet to be seen, but it's not to say that it can't happen. That, hey, it's not that successful on mobile yet, but the streaming has caused it to be successful on hook, right. mobile. This might be happening with PUBG. Mm-hmm. PUBG is mm-hmm. super successful as a game yeah. as well as like really friendly to watch. <laughs> like that's a exciting, interesting thing yeah. you do want to watch. Um, and if it's top going on mobile, this might be one of those, a great example where it's because it's a great eSports game, yeah. a good game great to watch and pushes it over to the side that that might be one
1: yeah i think supercell is a good example so they they are somebody who does kill a lot of projects famously sort of like yeah. um and it's because they have these like such a high bar to sort of meet okay um so it's interesting to see now i think what they one of their games that they're sort of in test markets with it's called brawl stars and you see them trying to make that into this esport before it's like even readily available everywhere and I think it's because they are trying to hit this sort of insanely high bar, so they're trying to make sure that that uh, can like like supersede everything that they've done before. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes um, sense. So they're trying to employ that tactic like really early on. Yeah.
0: What other things do you see happening in the future? You know, like people have talked about like uh, collectibles, like crypto-related stuff, like VR. Like, do you in in the near term, like games and development right now, where do you see things getting traction?
2: So I, I, I still think esports – esports has so many, like, eyeballs. Yeah. I think more and more are just – I think that's just going to be a natural, like, oh, this needs to be, like, a great game that's viewable. Not only yeah. a great game, but also viewable. VR is kind of interesting because it's, like I've – I've always felt like it has a lot of capital, like, a lot of, like, buzz around it, but not enough traction. And there's a little bit around that with, like, AR, with some people that have done the glasses. It's just – Lots of money, lots of cash, lots of buzz, but not enough, like, traction. And I kind of – I do feel like for VR, for it to hit right now, it's just all the – everything's not accessible. Like, it still can be more accessible. And um, I do think that AR will be kind of like this jump into it. Like, mm-hmm. I think Pokemon Go did a really nice job of introducing AR. Um, I do think that they're – you know, even Apple and all – and Google are all, like, supporting that platform. So I can see it a bit more, especially as you see successful games from a business perspective as well as people loving it um, go on there. I can see that one in the near term. Uh, blockchain games. like I think <laughs> yeah, that blockchain games are um, kind of a, a little bit currently suffering from the VR type world. There's a lot of heat. There's a lot of... Uh, you know excitement around it and you can make some great cash like crypto kitties but i think they only drove like a hundred thousand downloads of metamask and that's what you need in order to get on the block like there's just so many things it's almost like back in the day with the internet you needed your modem you needed somebody to not be on the phone do not call you needed a special like everything had to get set up just right however i do think with crypto there's so much buzz around it um there's also a lot of capital. I think it might be a short because it's mainly software to make those things, uh, accessible to kind of like get on it might, might actually, uh, be a lot easier in my mind. If you're just talking about like the UX and the accessibility and then therefore that encourages more people to be able to play it, yeah. more players and more, more like developers developing on there um and playing the game but But
0: like at the end of the day you still have to make a good game right like most people don't care about like how the internet ends up on my iphone let alone how my iphone works but if nobody knows
2: (laughs) but if nobody can even get understand how to play your game exactly like get to that point then like nobody knows and even i think the ones on there right now are um very interesting they're like the first games i'll be honest that we saw on facebook like crypto kitties uh, crypto celebs i was like oh yeah we had that game friends for sale and now we're just selling like celebrities and it's just like a very simple mechanic yeah and you'll probably see that early on and then i definitely know i'm sure there's game developers working on something that's much more in-depth than what what can the blockchain be used for that technology i think mm. i think it's interesting it's always in my world gaming um gaming definitely pushes te- those types of technologies forward or at least tests those boundaries of, like, how far can it go? And I, I'm i always encouraging. I, I think in the blockchain world and with crypto, like, what better people to really explore this than people know how to create virtual worlds. They're okay with virtual economies. I remember at one point... um <laughs> Uh, one of my co-founders said this about our CEO because he loves playing games. He was like, "Yeah, he was spending like real money to buy this fake currency," and I was <laughs> like, "Yeah, that's just like crypto. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not fake, but it's like virtual currency because you're you're giving an experience. Like this is why gaming is considered entertainment. Yeah, you're paying for entertainment. So, those are." My long two cents, make that 20 cents. (laughs) Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah, I heard another pitch recently about sort of back to like the idea that once you buy a game, you can't really resell it. But like with something like blockchain, maybe there is sort of opportunities to Mm. transfer ownership of either goods or like titles Um, Hmm. so that there could be interesting applications like that. But I totally agree if like a player has to understand how that system works, it's going to be difficult to sell. But if it is, if it does become sort of this invisible sort of underlying thing maybe
2: yeah it's very confusing yeah, right now <laughs> it's very confusing You have to get out of the blockchain it's like what there's three networks and yeah. your public key private key seat oh yeah
0: I mean well especially with something like MetaMask where you're like oh this is great if you have someone over your shoulder saying like okay yes. no don't do that this is how it works that's what it's saying. I'm just gonna send someone a thousand dollars right now yeah like- exactly
2: <laughs> I just said something the wrong thing
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, let's get some of the question, uh, Twitter questions out of the way um, so uh, David Trudeau had a question for you Patrick um, what kind of role did psychology play in making
1: all the dots games so addictive? <laughs> I think uh, it definitely wasn't a like designed to be addictive, but I think the methodology with which it was developed facilitated that. So basically, what I would do is like sit down every day and like think about what I wanted to like change or add to the game. And once I found myself more fascinated by like playing it than the like meta game of making games, I knew there was like something working there. Mm. So I like just found myself. Oh, wow. I just spent 10 minutes playing the prototype. <laughs> I should be working. Um, but it, it it was like that sign that the thing was working and like, maybe you didn't really have to add much more. Huh. Um, so then I kind of stripped stuff out and just made it that like core experience shine. And then all the games we've put out so far have been built on that sort of core functionality. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what's been like, yeah, foundational for the type of games we put out so far. Um,
0: same for you, Holly. Like basically try it until you find a a mechanism that's addictive and then you just keep it?
2: Yeah. Well, I think a little bit it's – with casual games, there's a little bit of great time for iteration. Mm -hmm. So for us, our game loops have to um, be a little bit more fleshed out. And like I said, we have to stick it out for 90 days at least to see what the day 90 retention is like. Uh, Because I feel like Dots, what's so great is like you have this core mechanic – that you can play over and over Mm -hmm. again. And then like, you might just change a couple of things, but for us, like the core mechanic, it it does get like a little bit iterated on and definitely in beta, we would, we would probably kind of change it, but you, there's definitely less iteration, like a lot more kind of discussion, discussion and then throw it out there. So it's, it's a little bit, uh, I, I wish, I wish there was a way to be able to do it, but, but there's so many things that happen in a midcore game yeah. that trigger all these other things that's very hard to like test just one piece of it without the full context of the game to say, like, okay, is this thing compelling? Cause it could actually be something else. So in reality, we've actually built like three or four loops of like just that. That's it is. It is what it is. One of the things we do try to do on de risking, I will say this is like, uh, we definitely taught, like we had focus groups. We had a whole team called Consumer Insights and he would inform, well, his team would inform things like not just genres, but even things like some features in the game. So try to collect, trying to collect that kind of stuff early on. But it, this is where it became, well, we'd like to say it became a, much more closer to premium cable television shows like <laughs> Game of Thrones, where it's like just this high production, but on TV. But you have to like think about like, where does the character development yeah. go? You can't just like kind of throw it out or like, it can't be like a soap opera. Well, all of a sudden like the twin is dead, but they actually came back alive. Like, okay. <laughs> it just can't be that way. Um, where, you know, it, it's, it's, it just, it has to just have like a lot more. And so you, so this is why. Uh, we started moving a lot of our game designer stuff. Like some of them had like 10 years of experience on just racing alone Yeah. Uh, to make our Fast and Furious game. And that's kind of what was needed. Like, yeah. It just got much and more specialized. Cool. Uh,
0: so uh, another Twitter question. Hexel asked, uh, how can you predict what will be a successful game? We kind of talked about that. The second part of their question is, how do you come up with game ideas?
1: Um, yeah.
2: Interesting. Here Patrick on this one.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I guess there's a bunch of different ways to do it. I think for, so for dots, it was like definitely driven by what I wanted it to look like and the sort of, sort of gameplay fell out of that. So it was like, okay, I want this grid to like look this sort of way and just sort of what naturally did I then want to do? And so I think actually to the like former questions, like the psychology of just connecting dots is like something kind of ingrained in us as like kids or humans. I don't know. Uh, so just that simple act is like really easy to pick up and then so like if you think of it sort of concentric rings if that's the thing you're doing every second then what are you doing every 10 seconds or minute um or week or month and then sort of like creating features uh that accommodate for those different sort of time scales Mm -hmm. um i know the sort of nintendo preaches sort of like taking hobbies and turning those into games so Mm. like what things that people like naturally want to do um and sort of gamifying those um yeah, I think at Dots, we're, like, really heavily driven by the aesthetic sort of inspiration that we find. Yeah.
2: Yeah, ours. I, I think uh, ours, ours was driven a bit more by, like, consumer insights. Yeah. Yeah, ours is very, like, very purposeful and, like, super, like, things had to be super strategic. So it was a little bit harder. Um, we had to ask our our, like, people that were hiring, like, same thing. You're going to be on this genre. Like, it's yeah. going to be hard to swap genres, like, once you're on here. Like, you need to really love racing games. <laughs> you really need to love RPG. Do you love Marvel? <laughs> As Marvel's, like, been around for a couple of years. And even some of our older games, there's, there's still people playing it, like, today. Even the ones on Facebook.
0: Yeah. So that, Wow. It's, like, that's just... Yeah. So when someone's just getting into the gaming industry, or if they were to get into it right now, like, what do you advise them? Like start your own company, start your own game and apply it? No, to, okay. No, okay. no. not
2: start your own company. Right? Well, I guess if you have the revenue, like if you have the means, like because uh the thing with gaming is it can be lucrative to where you could bootstrap it, right? So anything yeah. that can generate revenue pretty quickly, I guess you say, if you have the means go ahead and bootstrap it. That's probably going to be the best way you're going to learn yeah. is to actually just do it. Mm-hmm. But I do think if you're like kind of cash constrained it really depends on like what area you want to get into gaming, right? Yeah. Like if you want to be a game designer, I think it's great to go work at a gaming studio. Um, that's always really good. If you are a student and you don't have that means yet and you can't intern or whatnot, I think it's great to just even try to start designing your own game because you'll mm. learn so much about it. And there's all these like fun um things you could do old school, like starting like to paper prototype some things if you even wanted to. Um, but like if you're, I I do think, um, going, trying to get into a gaming studio is really good. Um, it's a very, I feel like it's still very apprenticeship Mm -hmm. in many ways. It just takes such a long time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I think if you are sort of, you find yourself sort of in a vacuum and not sure where to start, I think tools like unity are really accessible to like, Mm. sort of like, The access to a game engine is now like, like accessible to most people. Yeah. And then, um, I think also modifying games has become like more of a sort of cultural thing. So like, um, yeah, like I think on Steam, there's like a a sort of big uh, subgenre of, of modifications to games. So games that are designed to be modified and sort of like have a game designer just sort of add new, new rule sets to the games. Um, so that's like a good way that's like relatively low cost, um, or low barrier to entry. Um, paper prototypes for sure. I think having work that you can show at least that you've started and like got out of the initial hump of just like trying something yourself, like goes a long way.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. So that would, that in other words, differentiate someone. Cause you guys have both interviewed people for these kinds of jobs. Like if they showed that they had made something or like forked something mm-hmm. yeah. in a cool way.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, definitely an engineer game design of of some sorts. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay, so let's assume that someone is crazy enough to start their own game, like their own studio, or whatever. Uh, what are the biggest mistakes you guys have made that you would advise them to avoid?
2: Raise enough money, not just for one game, but two or three, because you're never like your first one. Likelihood will not be a hit.
0: What's a ballpark number?
2: Well, we already know it's like what? Well, it depends. Are you on mobile? I guess. I guess if you go on PC, it's probably. Like, cheaper for customer acquisition costs. I don't know. Um, something like Roblox has been really hmm. interesting in terms of like opening up a development platform for, for kids and also um, being able to like push um, other users to it. I mean, that they, they've been doing some pretty crazy stuff on that.
1: Um. Uh, the like, not mistake, but the challenge we're facing now, I think is like super common. I think you've described like what we're facing. It's like that we, the people want to be working on different stuff. It's oh, like, that's yeah, really it's hard. like the business so, side is like all about de-riskifying. And I think I like <laughs> <de-riskifying>, <laughs> creativity, I like that creativity word. inherently that is, is about is creating really risk. Hard. And so it's like the. Dichotomy yeah. of those two things. If it's not balanced right, so just true. Like at what time?
2: <laughs> at what time we had a hackathon? But it was like only things that you could do on the game. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of
2: like well, it's like usually a hackathon is like something more open, and I'm sure people craved more. At least even I would have like, oh, I don't know, guys. I mean, they still like hacked, and some people wanted to try all these things. They're like I've been wanting to fix this thing; it's been broken. Um, but usually people did. We've we've tried to do things like um like open submissions of game ideas but we we had um the thing is it's like we needed to give people like a business case and some people didn't have enough business case and there were at, at the end of the day we had set up some type of submission it was only like three people that really did end up Whoa. submitting right mm-hmm. <laughs> so and this is like we're already like a couple hundred people already so we're like hmm do you really want it they say this yeah. but do they really want it mm-hmm. um and then the other thing, what? What we could have done, which I think would have been much more streamlined, is if, like, uh, at one point there was someone who really pushed for, like, a particular theme-type game. I should have went through Consumer Insights because it was super clear that, like, that type of theme did not work with that type of genre. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's – yeah, that was something we really cared a lot about. Which also for IP uh, – this might be a side tidbit, but um, IP – uh, we cared a lot about what fit, like, would it fit one of the genres that we've done? So, for example, um, Star Wars, um, you know, we had, we had conversations with him early on, but all we had was like a strategy engine. Like, does it make sense? And, yeah. um, later we had like a different engine We're like, okay, this, this probably makes sense or like, uh, The Hobbit or something like that. The Hobbit, yeah. like, does it make sense? We only have this type of engine. Like, would it make sense to put racing on with Hobbit? Hobbit
0: racing game. Yeah, 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 maybe not. Uh, All right. My last question. uh, What's your favorite game that you have not made?
2: (laughs) Not made. I love Candy Crush. I really (laughs) really love Candy Crush. Classics. I love that one. I was like, this is like brilliant because I love, like, I love Bejeweled. Obviously, Dots. I love Dots too. But, like, I really like Candy Crush. I spend so much. I've spent a lot of time on there. (laughs) 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 I've spent
1: uh the threes that game yeah Uh, i think it's just like head to toe really impressive and like uh an interesting story if you like know the ins and outs of of what happened that they basically got cloned and 2048 became the sort of ubiquitous version of their game basically um yeah which is like this really like uh tragic story of like uh, a like really amazing product that was like cost three dollars but the market wasn't willing to pay for that so like the free version just like became this thing that a small studio sort of like i don't know like launched basically with this clone um, i
0: forgot to ask you how do you deal with <laughs> clones so we have like a,
1: I guess a lawyer that like
0: oh <laughs> yeah. but people still fork it and like put dots in the title yeah, it's like yeah. crazy dots, yeah. Wacky
1: dots whatever <laughs> yeah yeah they're also like uh candy dots 2048 like the string of these like key yeah. phrases that are just so transparently like trying to i don't
2: know it must be harder i think in casual world it's much easier to clone i think also
1: dots hard. like attracts up- people that are like that looks so simple i could do that and like yeah, do it that's so. true. <laughs> it's much harder yeah.
0: underneath oh
1: man all right well thanks for coming in guys thank you thanks, Greg.
0: all right thanks for listening So as always, you can find the transcript and the video at blog.ycombinator.com. And if you have a second, it would be awesome to give us a rating and review wherever you find your podcast. See you next time.